Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. Our monthly community electronics repair events here in London are just the beginning. My name is Ugo Vallauri from the Restart Project, and I'll be your host. I'm joined by my colleague Janet Gunter and longtime Restart volunteer Ben Skidmore, who's a system engineer at Freeview. Welcome. Hi. Hi, it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. It's great to be back live on air. In this episode, we are going to talk about the recent Sonos speaker scandal. That sounds uh, obscure, but we'll explain what we're talking about and the sustainability and lifetimes of smart devices. First, some news on the EU right to repair movement, which is making the headlines again. Uh, there's a campaign announcement, uh, the European right to repair campaign, which Restart co-founded uh, last year alongside partners across Europe has just launched a petition to ask the European Union to require smartphone manufacturers to give us the right to repair smartphones. These products are extremely political. They're the iconic product that the majority of us use and generate billions in profit, as we all know, to the big manufacturers and drive us crazy whenever they break way too early and it's hard to fix them. Because of all of this gigantic pile of money that they generate, regulatory efforts in this area have so far stalled. Why do we talk about this, uh, about something that is European in terms of regulation? Well, it's because if Europe adopts right-to-repair legislation for smartphones, it will inspire other regions of the world to follow. And so it's crucial to make this happen. And that's why it's important to sign this petition if you are based in the UK or anywhere else across Europe, which is much wider than just the EU. So you can sign the petition at repair.eu slash smartphones and join the movement and try to make this happen. We're a bit fed up with the lack of regulation on this. I'm reading the show notes from an old uh, Motorola that is really difficult to change the battery and I've been putting it off. <laughs> um, so yes, it would be nice if I didn't have to take apart my whole phone just to change the battery. Yeah. Imagine something so incredible to think of as being able to just unscrew to Philips screws perhaps and be able to replace your battery and do it yourself and feel good about it. Ben, is this possible? Of course it is. I mean, 10 years ago, we did it with all phones, right? Like uh, you just pop the back off, get the appropriate battery and put it in. And, you know, the only thing that really changed is the size. But alongside that, manufacturers started using screws and then glue and then secret clips and everything like that. But we can change this, and that's why everyone should sign at repair.eu slash smartphones. Yes, it's another online petition, and it's part of a bigger push. We're not just doing that, and we'll have surprises coming up for that. So moving on, uh, back to our typical topic uh, that and company that we always end up talking about. It's a bit boring, but here they are again. Apple was just fined by the French watchdog uh, group for competition and fraud. 
25 million euros, which is around 21 million pounds, uh, for not disclosing that its uh, iOS updates would slow down everyone's iPhones. And they admitted that it was purposeful with the excuse that it would prevent the phones from dying completely. And we spoke about this ages ago. Um, yeah, it was, it was called Battery Gate at the time. Yes. Um, and I believe the Italians find them first. Is that right, Ugo? Yes. And um, authorities working on uh, competitive issues Yeah, F did that in Italy at first. But yeah, now the fine has doubled. For Apple, it's still a bit peanuts, should yeah. we say? But yeah. it's a sign that it's starting to be accepted that software shouldn't be messing people's devices. I, I do think, though, that it really feels like the regulators are at a national level and then even at the European level, they're really on the back foot. You know, they have to deal with so many different issues like, you know, Google dominating and shopping and search and all these massive, massive like platform level issues. Um, and so to ask them to focus on devices and hardware and it feels like we're just one of many groups trying to get in and trying to get justice from both, both at the European level where the competition um commissioner is really strong and trying to do her best but also at the national level like here in the uk apple only got a slap on the wrist over battery gate not even really um yeah. there was some kind of press release about how they were going to do better um but it does feel like um that we really need government especially these competition authorities to step up and to, you know i don't know what it's going to take but a whole new generation of people and resources dedicated to this yeah it's really hard for to police all of this and uh, to, to, to be quick. And well, I think that's the issue is it's reactive, right? Like manufacturers yeah. come up with some new strategy to what they will call save money or improve profits or improve market share, but it's actually ultimately negative and then regulation has to come in to say that's not fair practice. And it's like almost after they've reached this position of dominance that the regulators come in, right? That where they have complete control over a platform or an ecosystem or, you know, really popular devices. And it's like, but regulation should probably come before they reach that level. Um, Which is why we hope that the right to repair campaign will succeed in changing the game. But it's a game that needs a lot of fixes. Yeah, it feels like we're constantly playing catch up, really. Yeah. On other news, oh, sadly, another news about the same company, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> Promise that then we'll move on to different topics. Otherwise, th people might start thinking whether we're sponsored by that company. Not. So a few months ago, Apple came up with an independent repair program uh, where allegedly they would start supplying uh, spare parts uh, to independent repairers in what seems at the time an attempt for them to have their own twists of right to repair at a time when the pressure on them started to increase. But they were only offering, just to say, even then at the announcement, uh, screens and batteries, is it? Access to screens and batteries. Possibly yeah. a few extra parts, but without much transparency to the general public about yeah. what it is that they're doing. And to be fair, they've only done this so far in the United States as they study the market elsewhere. But recently we had some surprises about uh, the emergence of details of leaked contracts um, about what you need to sign up to in case you are 
to join this program, at least in the U.S. It's funny that it's called Independent Repair Program because what, what follows is not really in any independence. Yeah, so things such as surprise audits and inspections that can result in fines. It doesn't sound like a very collaborative environment that they're trying to create with no. independent repair businesses. And it's not even like there's a precedent for that. Like Apple don't already have teams going around inspecting their kind of you know suppliers or anything like in that same way. So it's so strange to imply they're going to make all this effort to put that in place. You know, you're not joining an existing system. They're saying we're making this happen. They're sharing, they're, they're supposed to share information about customers, also obtain express written, explicit, I guess, a, a written acknowledgement from customers that they understand that this is not service from Apple. I think they're from really scared. From an authorized service provider, yeah. Right, so that they're really scared that people will go back at them and complain if mm -hmm. a repair isn't done the way they'd like it to. Uh, it's It's pretty shocking. The other details that I thought were kind of shocking were that they basically want to use it as a way. So a lot of the independent shops do other repairs that Apple won't do. So there's all kind of all nature of kind of component level repairs, repairs with um, home buttons, other little like microphones, things like that, that Apple won't do. And they need other, they need spare parts. They need to get spare parts that Apple won't offer them. So as a part of the condition, um, Apple wants to verify whether the shops are using these quote-unquote prohibitive, prohibit, prohibited products in, um, to do repairs. And I'm just, yeah, it basically seems like a, a backdoor into basically into a business to kind of con control it and monitor it. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what business would sign up to these terms. Like, and I guess, but what we heard earlier was also that just the real bottom line is price. That the parts that they're offering are just probably not going to be priced in a way that a business would be willing to buy them. But it just sounds um, like they've created something so they can say, "Look, independents are allowed to use our spare parts." Um, but we'll see. Maybe, maybe there, maybe some people will sign up for the the program, and we'll hear more about it in the future. Yeah, probably we'll hear more when they leave it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll, let's see. Let's give them benefit of doubt, but n not something that seems anywhere near the kind of right to repair that we envision. <laughs> Moving on to a different company and a different type of scandal. So we mentioned at the beginning that Sonos, which many of our listeners will know as a company that allows you to connect wirelessly multiple um, speakers so that you can have the same track follow you from mm -hmm. the <laughs> kitchen to the bedroom to the bathroom and beyond. I, I, that's, yeah. I don't have one, but I think that's what, why people like that, right? It's the marriage of wanting high-end audio and the modern smart home experience, right? So you can set groups Ooh. up and, and do that whole thing around the house, which is desirable. I can see how I'd like that, but I'm not on board with the smart stuff yet in that way. Okay. I'm still walking around with my phone playing <laughs> with a loudspeaker sometimes. But anyway, that that's not the point. So Sonos announced that um, they will no longer support some of their legacy products, which is products that went on the market perhaps around 10 years ago, but were still sold uh, as recently as 2015. And they will no longer provide software updates for these devices. And the new one um, will will be 
and they will only provide software updates on products that are up to five years old, uh, but nothing more on that front. So when they came up with this announcement, it was met with outrage because at first they said that if you have a system that has some older ones and newer ones, everything will start getting updates. And so you might be stuck in a situation where you have brand new products and because you're also plugging in one that's a bit older. Hmm. I also think some of their, like, it was almost like their original fans and the people who adopted early felt like they were somehow being punished also, I think, because part of the outrage was from that. Yeah, so that was really... Uh, surprising for a company that seemed to try to behave a bit differently. Mm. Although we had, there was a previous scandal about what happens when people hit a certain recycling button to mm. to their products and they're no longer reusable ever. It's like you're breaking them yeah. um, by design. And so Sonos was allegedly giving people an incentive to buy a new speaker and recycle the old one, which was still probably working just fine. Yeah, so recycle is an interesting term here because we usually associate recycling with the end of a useful lifetime, whereas this, it marks the upgrade. Upgrade and recycle is not the same thing as uh, it's finished, replace and recycle. Yeah, I mean, like we recycle, I don't know, aluminum can when we're done drinking it and it has no use for us any longer as opposed to it's like just throwing a drinks can, you know, in the recycling if we just don't feel like it anymore. Exactly. Here it was a bit different in the sense that it's a speaker that still works fine, including wirelessly with whatever mm -hmm. app is already designed to work with. And no, not anymore. Yeah. So there was so much outrage that actually they did a phenomenal U-turn about two days later, which, however, didn't leave us fully happy, Janet, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they're a little bit, they're not really saying how long they'll pr uh, extend security updates. And that's the real, that's that's really what will um, prevent people from using the smart speakers um, in the future. But I, I mean, for me, the big takeaway from, I mean, I've, as I've been watching, you know, I've been watching the tech sector and on through this lens of, you know, let's use things for longer. And I think, for me, it was almost like a watershed moment to see all of these um, tech, you know, tech fans um, all of a sudden really actually promoting the messaging that we've always been saying, which is that, you know, that that exactly that re recycling is the last resort and that things need to be reused and that there's a waste hierarchy. I mean, hearing this from 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 my technology timeline was really phenomenal. And I felt like it was almost a watershed moment personally. I don't know. Did, did, do you think so, Ben? Yeah, I mean, because I think something that is maybe not addressed that much is the people who consume lots of tech because they love tech, mm. they don't just throw it all away. They often, like, gift it to their little brother or their parents. Or, you know, like, like I used to get the hand-me-downs from my neighbours and I got into computing, and now I'm the guy giving stuff to the kid next door. So Yeah, and there just, were people yeah. reselling Sonos, the older Sonos speakers. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> a knack for starting up dead electronic devices and electrical appliances? Our team of volunteers are what keeps the restart project running. We are looking for more men and women to join our community, our monthly restart parties which happen all over London. 
and are spreading across England are a great way to meet people and learn new skills. Visit the restartproject.org. Be part of a movement that puts life back into the world of electronics. And we're back at Restart Radio here on Resonance 104.4 FM with Janet Gunter and Ben Skidmore discussing smart, scary IoT and the issues of politics of security and software updates and whether they break or make any device no longer usable. We were discussing Sonos, uh, but there's more going on than that. Uh, we we came across an interesting update from the UK where a new proposed legislation on Internet of Things and smart device security uh, would seem to indicate that the UK wants to lead on this front and push for push companies, manufacturers to have to release information about how long users are expected to receive uh, software and security updates at the time of purchase, which yeah. is pretty special. And um, it's, it happens to be Safer Internet Day, um, which is largely about, I guess, protecting kids on the internet and protecting, you know, childhood. And um, it reminded me of a story my friend told about her Nest getting hacked. So um, this is a crazy story of, um, you know, those, those Google Nest cameras that um, people put in their houses um, to, to keep track of their kids. Um, they also have microphones on them, I guess. I didn't I didn't know this lovely detail. Um, and she said that the that the nest was hacked and that she came in to hear someone, well, she lives in London, so someone with an American accent, random person, um, talking to her kids through the, through the camera. And basically, I mean, I think her reaction was just like basically tear it off the wall and put it in the bin. I mean, because that would be, I think, the natural kind of reaction of someone who experiences that. Um, and so I guess that makes the, it kind of, clear why we're interested in the security of connected devices, because if people lose um, confidence in them, you know, and then they feel that they're being, you know, that, that their kids or their home has been invaded, they're going to get rid of them. I mean, that is the, you know, the, basically the, the first reaction. Um, well, this announcement is hopeful, but it's kind of vague. What did you make of it, Ben? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's exactly that. It's an announcement, right? They've said we are going to so take it with a pinch of salt, but uh, it's a good idea because it, it's basically protecting the consumer, right? And uh, as my, in the same way as right now, the huge businesses who develop technology have kind of free reign to develop in whatever direction they want and do things like trap people in their product ecosystems, but also maybe ignore personal freedoms. Um, this is turning on its head and going, these are the baseline and everything has to conform to that. So like we were saying about being reactive earlier, this is a good way to build a framework where a new product you haven't expected could maybe be assessed with a bit more of a critical eye. Yeah, the interesting difference is between some of the regulation we would like to see, um, which is, you know, say, every product should be mm -hmm. supported by the manufacturer for at least X years. This is a bit of a milder approach whereby mm -hmm. say, well, let's let people choose if some manufacturers might choose one year, some might choose 10 years, some three years, mm. but at least you have access to the information to make a more informed yeah. choice. And which you, you could reasonably assume a consumer might look at two identical products and see that one has a five-year security promise and the other has one year and choose the five-year product. So. If it's not five times as expensive, possibly, True. yes. But yeah, it is promising and we 
ran this idea by our um, friends in the European Right to Repair campaign and policy uh, geeks in Brussels seem to indicate that this is a good idea and they will be happy to float it to European lawmakers just to kind of tell them, well, there's something interesting happening in the UK and you should consider how to do even better than that. So it's it's in everyone's interest, really. I mm. think the more that we start to build in um, regulation around software, the way that software and hardware interact, the better. Um, and just, you know, just even something as simple as, an, as part of what's been suggested is that all Internet connected device passwords must be unique and um, and uh, not resettable to some default setting. So when we heard about these botnets, for example, this these kind of zombie botnets that take over connected devices, they do it by just going through and, and using really common default passwords and just testing all the devices on a network. So it may seem like such an obscure and small thing, but it does, it, it could have a big impact. And um, the more, um, yeah, the more we start to think about software and hardware being connected and being almost one and the same thing, the better. Um, and I hope that this is, this is kind of something that we've noticed in looking at product um, product standards in Europe is that it's really not quite yet on the radar, would you say, Ugo? I mean, the, you know, we're fighting for spare parts, um, repair diagnostics, repair information, but this issue of software and how it affects product lifetimes is still quite new. Yeah, I'll give you an example, uh, something that quite shocked me is uh, whenever software is referenced in the current, even more recent regulations that were approved at European level, it's always a reference to the fact that the most recent version of a software update will need to be available for 10 years time. Meaning that, you know, if you need that software and that the product is 10 years old, you can still find it and download it and install it. But it misses the point, tragically, of making sure that the product is updated mm. for years and years. So they might be okay just by releasing one version and never do any updates as long as that original file can be downloaded yeah. off the internet, which is nonsense. Well, the irony of that is that those things are all, as soon as they're on the internet, they're distributed and, and re-hosted by loads of people anyway. So that doesn't need to be provided for at all. Yeah. So yeah. And the security seems to be the issue. And maybe it's the issue that will actually galvanize real interest in this because ultimately, you know, they can discover vulnerabilities and things years and years on. Right. Um, mm. And and once a vulnerability is found and if it affects enough people, it absolutely has to be taken care of. So um, and I, I, you know, part of me wonders, I don't know, but like the story told by my friend about the nest. I mean, do you think this actually just happened to some of the maybe some of the cabinet members or some of the people involved in this initiative. Um, it, it turns out that the, the digital minister who announced it is the ex um, is the ex editor of technology at the Telegraph. So he might just be really into this just mm. personally, but I wonder whether it got some traction due to some personal experience. A lot of tech defensiveness or just sensible behavior comes from being stung. I mean, a good example is uh, you usually have a hard drive die and lose some really important photos or something you care about. And then you start having a good backup scheme, you know, and I, and I speak as someone who's done exactly that, is that you have to make the mistake once before you start being more careful. Well, there's also, if you go and, 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 and access the official documents behind this proposed regulation, you see that there's been 
consultation with various stakeholders, including civil society and actually even makers of devices, uh, smart devices. So it's actually a case where a people people's voices have been has been listened at least. Mm. You know, at the time when we were complaining about products repairability, we found out that there is no public forum where um, people could interact and make suggestions. Um, at least in the UK, it wasn't there. Um, in this case, it appears to be there, so it's a positive sign, and hopefully the actual final legislation will be something yeah. that makes sense. Because one thing we've seen, um, at least at the European level, is that this great initiatives get, kind of get undermined by a thousand cuts. Um, and the other question about this is enforcement. So, I, you know, they're they're kind of putting a lot on the vendors and manufacturers, but who, you know, is um, is the is is the is DCMS going to inf- who who enforces this? So that that's a bit of a question. Yeah, um, it remains to be seen. There seems yeah. to be quite a bit of responsibility on the retailer to be be able to. Uh, from what I read, to to list this information on the point of sale, um, and then if the information isn't there, okay, that's a problem. But what if the information isn't backed by the real practice? Mm-hmm. You know, if halfway through that product cycle the manufacturer technically stops supporting it, so how will yeah. we be able to? It seems sort that, that you know, just consumer rights as a whole will have to change in this age of connected devices, and, and it, it will require like a, you know. Yeah, like we were saying on regulation side, but even just enforcing consumer rights will have to change as well. So, yeah, it's a um, anyway, it's good to hear that the government is trying to catch up on this. Yeah. So exciting times as usual. And uh, we, we have some final announcements uh, to end the show. Well, first, a reminder, we started the show with uh, repair, uh, right to repair campaign announcement. If you care about the repairability of your smartphones, go to repair.eu slash smartphones and join a European online petition to push for better, repairable and longer lasting phones. And if you have anything that you'd like help fixing with a plug or a battery, including headphones, radios, um, why not Sonos speakers, old audio equipment, um, The Big Fix is coming up on Saturday all over the UK. Um, we're hosting an event at our um, at our headquarters and international house in Brixton. You can find more information about locations and events at our website, therestartproject.org, or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Thanks to OptiNoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. We're here live every second Tuesday of the month at 5 p.m. And until next time.